podcast about it is spooktober after all so you're in for a couple spooky episodes this month if i may say so myself i am your host peter akerley and i am joined as always by matthew grace hello and keith ramsey well hello there yep all right that's exhausting i'm (laughs) done immediately spooky topics i don't have to talk in a spooky voice or sultry voice, depending on who you ask. That was my sexy intro. I'll save that for Valentine's. I'll do that voice all Valentine's. Get ready, folks of the internet. Uh, so how's it going, guys? Uh, pretty uh, Kind of sad, actually. Why are you sad? Be- well, side note, my car that I've been using for 14 years finally died. Oh, no. On a happier note, <laughs> Peter Parker walk right past that. We're gonna walk right past that. I don't want to live in the sad world. So we're gonna we're just gonna Parker there and move on to Peter Parker. <laughs> Side note: Before we get into the podcast, open auditions. Literally anyone who wants to be a part of this podcast, just send us an email. We'll Only requirement work. is that your name is Matt in some capacity, <laughs> some form of Matt, and you have to like puns. But no, no puns. <laughs> As Matt so eloquently hinted at, Peter Parker's back in the MCU! Oh, when you said you had good news about Marvel stuff, I thought you were talking about Sony doing the Madame Web movie. That's also a thing that's happening, I assume. But yeah, Peter Parker's back in, our boy's back, the MCU is not thrown away with the hours of work it put in setting up Spider-Man to be the new leader of the Avengers. I'm just looking forward to them just brutally killing Peter Parker out of the series with these last two movie shows he gets. Yeah, they do one movie, it's like a big triumphant like hero movie, and then they just mercilessly kill him off at the beginning of the next movie out of spite towards Sony. And then moving forward, they only use the Night Monkey for the rest of the Marvel movies. Yeah. The Night Monkey, played by local kind of known actor... Hom Tallinn. Hom Tallinn. That's what his name was. I forgot. I saw the edition tapes. I haven't... can never remember his name. It's such a random name, Hom Tallinn. Yeah, they'll never know. So, for today... It's time for us to talk about it. Our topic for today, it this is it. Our topic for today is it. Clarify, I mean the Stephen King novel slash the movies based on the Stephen King novel, it. About a creepy clown named Pennywise who terrorizes a small town in Derry, Maine, named Derry in Maine. And I've got to say, I am kind of upset with you guys that you actually made me watch a scary movie for this. It's Spooktober, Matt. You have I to know. watch spooky movies. That's the rules. Dems the rules. I know. Just, uh... Well, I'm, we didn't make you watch the spookier version of yeah, the movie. You had to watch the fucking early the, 90s one with Tim Curry and... 1990s. I mean, to be fair. Scary at the time. Scary at the yes. time. Now, more cringeworthy. And I'm glad that I only had the one nightmare and will never have <laughs> any more. <laughs> it's a standard B-movie now. Well, yeah. it's not even a nightmare. I'll, I just remember it popping up in one of my dreams and I woke up and I'm like, damn it. It happened. Damn it! <laughs> Wasn't scary, just damn it, Tim Curry. God <laughs> damn it. Uh yeah, so for those of you who are unaware, it is this book by Stephen King. Oh god, uh, Stephen King's it. That's what I'm calling it from now on in. Okay. So it doesn't sound like I'm just trying to not refer to it by name. So Stephen King's It is a book slash movie about a clown demon monster thing that terrorizes a small town called Derry and murders children there every 27 years and then goes into a slumber to reawaken again and murder more children to sustain sustain itself and uh, the, uh 20 years you said 27 27 years. okay the original or the original uh, tv series the 1990 version they just rounded up to 30 it's like said about 30 because it's not mm-hmm. a very strict schedule that he follows he's also awake for 12 to 18 months at the time it's very arbitrary it depends on how much killing he does and all that stuff much like a bear yeah depends on how much yeah. killing a bear does to determine how long it hibernates for like a giant alien demon bear demon bear yeah and so the story kind of takes place over two distinct parts which meld together into one if you read the book, it fluctuates wildly between these two parts, and if you watch either the either of the movies 
or the like TV series, miniseries that was on back in the 1990s. It focuses on a story of a group of kids who are terrorized by the clown, who end up fighting the clown and surviving, and then make a pact to come back if the clown ever comes back, and kill it for good. And then the second part of the story is them coming back when the clown comes back, and finishing it off for good. And can I just say, there needs to be more movies in circulation of just children beating up clowns. There really does. If someone just wants to like... It's an untapped make, genre. Make a two hour long video of just kids kicking the crap out of a clown. I would be alright with that. I would support that director. It would probably cure a lot of kids' fears of clowns, actually. Fears of clown that were clowns that were likely created by these movies. <laughs> True. Alright, so... Uh, I don't think it makes sense for us to go through point by point and talk about every aspect of the movie, but... Basic plotline. Kids get terrorized as kids by a clown... Uh, it haunts them all independently. They come together figuring out they're all having these different visions of this clown haunting them. They decide to work together to fight the clown that's giving them the visions. They learn more about it and also end up fighting and they believe killing it. And after they kill it, they all come to an agreement to make a pact that if it turns out that they did not fully kill the clown and they ever have to come back, they'll all agree to come back to Derry and work together to finish off the clown for good so that it doesn't kill anyone ever again. Now, there is something I want to go back to to talk about specifically from part one. And this is the very opening, I believe, for all of the versions. Yeah. Georgie, when uh, he gets it, uh, little, it or whatever. Little boy Georgie. I still, to this day, this the concept of, like, clown in sewer convinces child to come near. Just, it's never stuck with me properly. Yeah. To clarify, in the books, and I th I'm pretty sure in part one, I don't think it's, I don't know remember specifically for the miniseries but the clown tries to tempt georgie to climb down into the sewers to party with him yeah and georgie's at least smart enough to be like ah that doesn't sound like a <laughs> there's a whole circus down here yeah but i don't know that's the sewers <laughs> i don't really want to do that and then the clown's just like all right well i got your boat that you put into some water and it went running down the water and fell down the sewer drain just reach in grab the boat and you'll be fine and then the kid uh, in the book, Georgie reaches in and the clown rip, tears off his arm and Georgie dies bleeding out where his family finds him later and has no idea what happened. And in the 2017 movie, he just disappears as the clown drags him into the sewer yeah, as he reaches in. Yeah, it's almost the same where it plays out, just his body's never found. Yes. Uh, yeah. Is that the case with the miniseries? Yeah, the same thing mostly with the miniseries, except the clown didn't really coax him into the sewer. It was more, he has the boat, he's like, hey kid, I've got your boat. You want it back? And uh, Georgie wants the boat back, but he's like, no, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. I don't know you. Then Pennywise, or it, is like, okay, I'm Pennywise the Dancing Clown, and you're Georgie. See? We know each other. You want your boat? You want this <laughs> balloon? Does the balloon float? Oh, yes, the balloon floats. <laughs> Checks out for me. Then Crosses all the marks off my list. <laughs> then Georgie starts to reach down for his boat, and then the creepy scene of, and down here, you'll float too! Richo grabs him, toothy draw or sharp tooth, grin and then scream. Cut out to black. Uh, quick little pause here so that we can all acknowledge. Even you in the audience, I want you to take a moment to just think and acknowledge how spot on of a Tim Curry impression Matt does. <laughs> that was beautiful. Really? It was pretty great, Matt. Mm. I like you. You're you're a good guy. Oh, thanks. We'll, uh, we'll delay the auditions a bit. Yeah. You might have bought yourself a reprieve and replacement. Oh, you guys wish that wasn't the case by the end of this. Uh, I mean, there was no pun in that, so I'm good so far. Yet. The the good news is the puns that Matt makes with this is just going to be him slipping it into sentences, and nine times out of ten, I will not notice or care. You've got it right. Yep, I won't notice even a little bit. Maybe <laughs> he won't do it at all. Who knows for sure. So, uh... After a whole bunch of shenanigans happen as their kids, uh, 27 years later, uh, I'll talk about the opening scene for It Chapter 2, the movie, because the movie reminds us that the clown's kind of a monster, but the real monsters are the people who live in Derry, Maine. Because a group <laughs> of hillbillies in Derry, Maine discover two men who are in a committed relationship and who love each other very much and decide, not, 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 not in my town. And kick the shit out of one of the guys and throw him off a bridge to his own untimely demise. And one of them has asthma and he's like, I need my inhaler. And he's like, no, fuck your inhaler. And starts kicking him. Kicking him in the ribs while he can't breathe. And then they throw him into the river. Uh, the other man from the relationship runs down to the river to try and find his beloved. Just in time to see the clown devour him as a human being. And kill him. At this point, 
the one person from the original crew, Mike Hanlon, yep. discovers that the clown has officially returned and calls all of the other members of the Losers Club, as they were known as kids, to return to Derry uh, in order to kind of fight the clown as they all made a pact to originally. Now, saying in the movies, the, the new ones that came out, that Mike discovers that the clown is back is... Give him a little too much credit, considering Pennywise in bigger letters all over the goddamn place and come back home, and just, like, red balloons everywhere. Yes, Pennywise did not make it difficult to discover that he had come back. In his very trademark font, he wrote, come back home all over the place, and then, yes, released just a bajillion red balloons. You could swing it more of a... Discovery in the miniseries version when Mike found a picture of Richie by a crime scene of a new murder. I mean, that might have just been Richie, honestly. Yeah, Richie <laughs> seems like the kind of kid who would just leave his pictures everywhere. So yes, uh, Richie ends up calling... Or not, or not, not, not hell, Richie, fucking Georgie. Not Georgie, Mike. Fucking hell, man. <laughs> uh, Mike calls all of the... Uh, Losers Club. Losers Club back. And it's at this point that we discover that since moving away from Derry... Every single member of the Losers Club has since kind of forgotten the events of the original uh, story and has no memory of fighting the clown, but all feels an intense fear at the thought of being brought back to Derry with no real understanding to why. There is one slight exception to that. One member of the group fully remembers why he's being called back to Derry and is not on board with it. Now, this is where I want to kind of get off track here about what happens in the thing and talk about more of Pennywise's motivations in both of them because in the recent movies Pennywise actively wants to kill the Losers Club because he views it as they're the ones who got away I need them I need to yeah. get my revenge and all that stuff classic uh, rom-com plot line they're the ones who got away he needs them back but in the original and I believe the book as well Pennywise is fully fine with them staying as far the fuck away yeah. as possible because he's like they beat me I don't want to deal with them at all so I believe throughout most of the uh, miniseries in the book, he's actually trying to bargain with them instead of trying to outright kill them. It's like, just leave, go away, don't yep. deal with it. Most of the miniseries, the second part anyway, when they're all in Derry, is Pennywise trying to scare them all and get them to leave. And then when they're not leaving, Pennywise is like, okay, I'm going to get the old bill, the, the old bully at school, Henry, who would always yeah, threaten, yeah, Henry Bowers, who would always threaten to kill them. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to break him out of the insane asylum and actually get him to kill him. Which... And that does happen in uh, Chapter 2, the most recent one. Uh, but yes, it's very much so he invites them back to town because he knows they're not going to survive another 27 years anyways, but he still wants to kind of right the wrongs of his past by killing the people yeah. and, who defeated him. This ties into one of the issues that I noticed right off the bat, which is a little weird, which was... Uh, it's explained why they forget and why they're so successful in the miniseries of the book because Pennywise, using his space magic or whatever it is, yeah. is making their lives so great that they don't even want to think about coming back to Derry and makes them forget. So that's why they all manage to be successful in their jobs when they left Derry. They forget everything. They're living kind of happy lives, I guess. But there's nothing that would make them think, let's go back to Derry. Because yeah. that was Pennywise's plan from the whole beginning when they left. But in the new version... That's not in play, so it makes you wonder, why did, why would he make them forget if he wanted them to come back to get revenge? To be fair, he also didn't exactly make all of their lives perfect. He made it like he made them successful so that there's not a reason for them to come back to Derry, but also still made it shitty to punish them. Like, fucking Beverly, who had an abusive father, now has a very abusive husband, and that's very much so true in all different versions of it. She just... Does not work out well with whoever's her paramour no. in the story. And I believe... Uh, what else? Uh, Eddie Kasprak, his wife is now a very much so a nag, similar to what his mother was. Well, so. a fun fact for the new movies, too. The same actress is playing his mother and his wife. Oh, that's... Yeah, it's the exact same actress. I did not notice huh. that. Uh, but it is implied that he married a woman very much so like exactly. his mother, so it's fitting that they did that. In all this time, he gave them successful lives so they wouldn't want to come back to Derry. Uh, in the new movies, I don't know why they don't remember. I think Mike writes it off as just, it has something to do with the magic of this place. Yeah. Where in order to keep, like, full militaries from coming back, anyone who leaves Derry has no recollection of anything that happened exactly. in Derry. And, and to be fair explaining the horrible parts of their lives can kind of be worked into it too because throughout part one when they're kids that a lot of the parts of it is they have to, it's very much a coming of age story so yeah. they have to face their fear or that horrible part and overcome it and yeah. all of them do that beverly ends up uh beating her father eddie stands up to his mother 
Bill realizes that it's not his fault that his brother died, or, you know, can at least come to terms with the fact that his brother's dead. Yeah. All of them, in their own way, face their fears, except for Richie. Kind of. Kind of. But because of that, where they all this happened at the same time they were fighting Pennywise, I, I always thought of it more as because they forgot the incident with Pennywise, they also forgot the progress they made of overcoming that, and that's why they kind of fell back into those very negative circles yeah. of, you know, Beverly ending up back in an abusive relationship, because she got away from her father, but she can't remember the progress she made to get to that point. Same with, you know, Eddie standing up to his mother and such. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, they all come back to Derry. They go through a quest to rediscover all of their memories that they lost. And this, I believe, is true in all versions. They, yeah, go through this process of remembering everything that's happened uh, in their childhood that they have since forgotten. And then after remembering, they come across the Ritual of Chewed. And they use that to defeat the clown. Uh, only to discover... The, my favorite thing about the Ritual of Chewed, I don't remember, I assuming based on the look on your face, Matt, that it's not a part it, of... No, it is. It is a part of your miniseries, but it turns into a psychic battle between Bill and It. Okay. Uh, in the book, oh, yeah. my favorite thing about this is in the book, the way it comes about... So in the It chapter 2 slash the 2017, the most recent ones, the way it came about was that Mike Hanlon has a meeting with Native Americans who used to battle with it all the time and have since moved to the outskirts of town outside its reach uh, to live in peace. They came up with the Ritual of Chewed and they tell the Ritual of Chewed to Mike uh, so that he can use it in his battle. In the book, the way that they come up with the Ritual of Chewed is all the kids just get really high together and then two of them happen to hallucinate. Mike and Bill hallucinate this Ritual of Chewed and they're like, ah, clearly... That is how we <laughs> defeat. I mean, you're leaving out a very important part is that they don't just hallucinate it. They learn it from the world turtle. Yes, the world who turtle. Who is the anti- The antithesis to, to Pennywise. Yeah. And uh, who originally created the universe by barfing it up, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Okay. Now, I can't, I can't remember the turtle's name offhand, though. Uh, neither can I. That is not in the miniseries, I can oh, tell no, you that. That's not in uh, the new 2017-2019 ones either. Though I will say there are some hints towards the turtle. Uh, there's a lot of turtles that show up throughout different things, especially in the classroom. One of the images is the, there's the turtle statue with a globe right behind it. It looks like it's carrying it. Uh, the, one of the big ones is at the end of the movie, because uh, when they all make their promise to come back, they all cut the, in their palms yeah. and make that oath. And then afterwards... Uh, the quarry that they all swim in to like wash off all the guck and afterwards their scars are gone yeah and if you pay attention in the first part of the new series some one of the mentions when they were younger that oh i saw a turtle in the lake and the lake never seems to be corrupted in any way so uh, it led to speculation that oh the, the uh, lake it, or not the lake the quarry itself is protected by the tear uh, the turtle so that when they finish defeating pennywise at the end of part two and they wash off the turtle heals them it's it's just it's, a weird plot line in the books there's also another plot line where after the kids first defeat pennywise as children in the <laughs> books uh they can't escape from the sewers and they keep getting lost and their minds keep getting corrupted further and further by pennywise and then they have an orgy and everything works out after that and their minds are purified and they can escape the sewers <laughs> after all i mean to defend it beverly wanted to be all of their first love that's about as far as you can defend it <laughs> that's about as far as you can defend it so that's a whole plot line. obviously it's omitted from all video versions of the story no one yeah. wants to film an actual orgy with children it's very upsetting that that was a plot line but what can you do <laughs> so yes kids come back kids fight with old bully because and, uh, Henry Bowers is released from the Insane Asylum in all versions. <laughs> I hate that I keep intersecting here, but I have to give props to my favorite line throughout the part two of the movie, which involves Bowers, where it's Eddie, he's in the bathroom, and then uh, uh, Bowers stabs him in the cheek, and there's that moment where they're laughing at each other, and Eddie gets into the bathtub, and then Bowers starts going to go get him, and then he gets stabbed for the thing. So Eddie, who's clearly in shock, bleeding out of his face because he pulled the knife out to stab Bowers with it, is slinking out the door, and as he's leaving, he says... And cut your fucking bullet. It's been like 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> I love that part. I also love how just preceding it, uh, Eddie has the knife in his face. He goes to hide in the bathtub. And Bowers is like, give me back my knife. And then shambles towards the bathtub. And Eddie stabs him in the heart through the shower curtain. And then, yeah. And then he slinks out of the room saying, cut your fucking bullet. It's been 30 years. It's like my favorite line in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so Bully comes back. Bully is subsequently defeated by the heroes. Billy ends up chasing Mike Hanlon into the... Or not... It's not Mike. Uh, I forget who he chases. It might be... In the current movie, like the most recent ones, he doesn't chase after anyone specifically, but he does go after Mike. 
okay. who he encounters in the library, and then Richie ends up saving him. Yeah, he finds Mike and Richie saves him. I believe in the books it was Stanley that he finds in the library and tries to kill. Regardless, uh... He get, ends up getting killed in the library in his attempt to finally kill off one of the Losers Club. After they kill him, they all just kind of run for the sewers to save the town. In the 2019 one, I don't remember this from the books, but it might have been there. It taunts Bill a little bit more. Oh, you're talking about the Mirror Maze? The Mirror Maze. That was wholly original for the new remakes of the story. That, so that was actually uh, McAvoy and the director were talking about it and added that scene in. Yeah. So, essentially, this entire time, it has been taunting Bill about the fact that he let his little brother Georgie die, even though Bill, over the course of the first movie, comes to terms with the fact that he's not responsible for Georgie's death. It continues to taunt him for it, and then uh, taunts him about the fact that he's actually going to kill another boy who now lives in their old childhood home. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, Bill ends up having to chase this boy into the kind of mirror maze that he escapes into. And then he has to watch from the other side of a glass wall as this kill is murdered by Pennywise. A really good scene that was added into it. And it feels better with... Because Pennywise in the remakes uh, for uh, the recent stuff is a lot more aggressive and likes to play on it. Because whereas Tim Curry kind of seems like he just needs to eat the children, this Pennywise feels much more that the fear itself is what he's feeding on. So putting people in despair just seems so much more his thing. And that whole setup of, oh, you met the kid that lives at your house. And he mentioned hearing voices out of the bathtub drain. Oh, here's his skateboard. Where could he be? Yeah. And there's even just like that very powerful scene of the kid trapped inside a glass box. And James McAvoy as Bill trying to bash down one side of the glass to save the kid. While Pennywise, or Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise, is just smashing his fucking head against the glass to shatter it to devour the kid in front of Bill. Trapped in a glass box? I almost uh, yeah, thought you were going with Mr. Mime being burned alive in there. It is not at all reminiscent of the Mr. Mime scene. <laughs> I know, I wanted to shift away from something so disturbing. <laughs> That's fair. But yeah, the kids end up all going down at the sewers, fighting it again. They attempt the Ritual of Two. The Ritual of Two does not work uh, because there were some simple plot holes that they were not aware of uh, with the Ritual of Two. And then they kind of discover that the clown is very, in fact feeding off of their fears and so if they're not afraid of it, then it becomes smaller and weaker to the point where they could kill it just by grabbing its heart and crushing it with their bare hands. Yeah. So essentially in this version... Which is essentially the Battle of Wills played out in a more direct form. Yeah. it's In the original, it's more of they defeat it psychically in a battle, whereas in this one, they fight it physically to be more cinematic, which I actually like how this fight played out a bit more than the psychic battle itself. Yeah. A lot of key things happen at this time, too. We have the death of Eddie, yep. which is a big moment. Uh, now, for this one, I like kind of how they did it more in the recent remake. Although, there's still something pretty cool about, you know, my inhaler's full of battery acid and spraying Pennywise with it, and the power of belief is what makes it affect him. Yeah. To when he, like, kind of badass, like, shoves his hand down Pennywise's throat to spray him with it. As yeah. opposed to this one where it's like, oh, this defeats monsters if you believe it does. And he has that... He, like, chanting the mantra to himself to convince yeah. himself that the piece of wrought iron fence will defeat monsters and to be fair he does weaken it to the point where the rest of the party is able to defeat it because of this because that belief did ultimately injure pennywise because the uh ritual chewed is essentially doesn't it only manifest the physical form so you can hurt it and not actually trap it itself yeah it manifests the physical form and then it is supposed to be a battle of wills once the physical form has been manifested to actually be able to defeat it Battle of Wills played out more in form of belief than in form of a psychic battle between two entities. And to be fair, I, I feel like having belief be the ultimate thing that defeats Pennywise just makes so much more thematic sense where he messes with what you believe to create your ultimate fears and make you face it. And yeah. that's what he feeds off of. So being able to turn that back on him by believing certain things can work certain ways. We even get a hint of it in part one when the nail gun that they use. Uh, yes. Where he uses the last bolt in it to kill Pennywise Georgie to finally face his fear and like realize, oh, you are dead and I can't do anything about that. And when Pennywise comes back up, Mikey goes, no, it's not loaded. But when he fires, it still hits Pennywise yeah. because Bill believes it can still hurt him. Yeah. And we get that again in the uh, sequel in the 2019 one where Pennywise is now tormenting Bill by making him relive the scenes where Pennywise tormented him with Georgie, uh, except instead he's forcing adult Bill to torment child Bill as uh, Pennywise. And then Child Bill, uh, or Pennywise as Child Bill, grabs the nail gun and goes to shoot him in the head. 
And Bill's aware of the fact that it's not loaded, so it causes him no harm. And then he takes it out of Child Bill's hand, knowing that it's it, and shoots him in the head. And it actually does injure Pennywise. Very cool scene. Oh, it definitely is. Another thing I kind of want to touch on a bit with this, too, is we kind of glossed over it, but the opening to part two involves Stanley's death. So Stanley is the one who is so scared about going back that he kills himself, uh, slits his wrist in the bathtub. In the original version, he ends up writing it on the wall. But in the new version, uh, he, it writes, ch- it, he doesn't write anything. He just changes it up a bit. Yeah. But we go through the whole movie uh, with everyone like knowing, oh, he did, he died. You know, the whole guess Stanley couldn't cut it in the fortune cookies, which was a pretty cool scene as well. That was a very cool scene. Uh, but the, the twist at the end of this one was because through the book and even the show, Stanley didn't really have much part. Even in this one, he kind of seemed like a background character. It was him, Mike, and two apart, I guess, Richie. Kind of felt like they weren't developed a lot through most yeah. of it. And then we find at the end, oh, he actually did like a murder move and knowing that he would be useless, killed himself. And he has a letter written to all the rest of the losers saying, oh, uh, I don't want you to think this is a suicide note. I actually removed myself from the board because I knew if I was there with you, yeah. it wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to defeat him because of how scared I'd be. So I'm essentially always with you in spirit type move. Yeah, it was one of those, uh, if we're all together, but we aren't all on the same page, we'll never win. So in order to ensure that you guys can all be together and all be on the same page, I'm taking myself off of the board. It's the exact words that he wrote. Yeah. And I feel a bit mixed about this because on one part, because Stanley was a coward and that was through and through. And in the original versions, it showed how strong and how far Pennywise's reach was because the idea was he killed himself because of Pennywise because Pennywise was able to manipulate him enough to get to that point. Yeah. In this version, it kind of ends the story with a more heartwarming note by having that letter. At the same time, it also, in a way, kind of completes Stanley's arc of he faced a fear, essentially, to overcome it. Now, why didn't just go and face Pennywise instead? I can't. It does also, it brings up another issue, which is during the scene at with uh, Guess Eddie Didn't Cut It, shortly afterwards, Bev says that when she saw the deadlights, which is essentially what Pennywise's true form is, these three glowing lights, uh, when she saw the deadlights, she saw each of the members of the Losers Club killing themselves at some point in the future it's revealed and she says that it's revealed or she's aware that it's actually the corruption that they have from it being a part of their life as children it's going to bring them all to that point at some point and eddie or stanley it just happened to before any of the others so it was all destined for their future anyways and saying that stanley did this as a tactical move instead of as a last resort or because of pennywise's influence very much so diminishes that argument that she was making. Oh, definitely. And I don't even know if this is... I can't remember if it's from the original or not, but the whole aspect of the corruption going to be killing them in time, and they have to defeat Pennywise this cycle because they'd be dead by the next cycle. Was that present in the book or the miniseries? I don't think that was present in the book. don't think so. Okay, so I think that must be just something to keep them motivated to stay in Derry that was put in the new series. Which is weird to me that they added this reason to keep them motivated while also completely diminishing the value of that argument in the same... Like, Stanley never made the choice to kill himself for tactical reasons in any of the other versions. No. So giving him a tactical reason to kill himself while also saying he didn't have the choice, he was forced into it by the corruption of Pennywise, seems very weird of a choice for the movie to make. And in the uh, the TV series version, it just didn't really fit, or didn't really make sense anyway. So, like, through the entire thing, he didn't seem like much of a character, Stanley. He didn't have anything as a kid, really... He was scared of everything, and then when it gets to him as an adult, and he's called by Mike, who, in my opinion, still technically killed him, or resulted in his death. <laughs> oh, strong stance to take there, man. <laughs> because he's there living his own life now. He's happy with his position and everything. Can't remember Derry. Not scared of it anymore. He's called up by Mike. He's like, yeah, it's happening back in Derry again. He's returned. Suddenly all his memories are back. He's terrified again. Instead of just staying where he is and happy... And not going back to Derry, he just decides to kill himself. I mean, to be fair, they all made a promise they were going back, though. Yeah, like, Mike True. was the only person that was holding them to that promise. Yeah. Also, In fact, I believe in the book, Stanley's the one who suggests making the vow and does yeah. the cutting. Stanley's the one who starts the pact. Uh, in the most recent adaptations, it's actually Bill who makes the uh, suggests yeah. making the pact. And, well, and, and it's uh, implied that Bill also forces Stanley into joining the pact. And yeah. in the uh, TV series version, Bill is the one who... 
made the promise also. Yeah, they very uh, much make Bill kind of like the leader of the Loser Club. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, Mike was the only one who stayed behind in Derry, so he's the one who called everyone. Alright, so the other thing that was a little bit weird about it was in the 2019 adaptation, it's slightly hinted that Stanley actually never forgot, unlike all the other people, because everyone else gets a call, they feel fear, but they don't know why, and then they just end up coming back to Derry anyways to hang out with Mike. Mike calls Stanley and Stanley answers and says, hi, who is this? And Mike says his name. And then Stanley's like, oh God, it's back, isn't it? Which implies that Stanley actually has very vivid memories of the time, unlike any of the other characters, which I assume is just the fear acting that much stronger on him. And like, he hasn't been able to leave it in his past because it's also implied in these movies, in the 2019 one, at least that memory is a very important thing. And, we like to believe we are what we choose to remember, but sometimes we are what we can't forget, or mm-hmm. is a line they make from the intro mm-hmm. to the movie. So I think it might just have something to do with the fact that he was unable to forget any of the things in Derry, which is also probably had a compounding factor on him killing himself. Because no one else even remembered Pennywise before coming back to Derry, but he had enough memory to know to kill himself before going back to Derry because <laughs> he couldn't face Pennywise. And that certainly makes more sense than the original the tv series version anyway and also the fact that in the tv series version the tv series version they come to the conclusion that early on that pennywise doesn't really have much power over the adults of the town and the adult well he kind of does in the sense that the adults just sweep everything under the rug yeah he has the ability to kind of make them indifferent yeah they're indifferent of all the troubles that the kids are going through yeah Yeah. and that's exemplified even in the the newer series too like one of the key moments i can think of is when ben is getting beat up by the bullies and they're starting to carve Mm -hmm. the name into him and when the car goes by with the adults you see the balloon pop up in the back indicating like oh they're being manipulated by pennywise yeah and i even took that as into uh in the miniseries when stanley kills himself i took that as oh he has influence over the adults of Mm. Derry, and stanley even though he left he has that influence where he's able to kill him that way yeah I guess that does make sense, but the way that the miniseries was written, they were kind of all over the place with their guesses and accusations, and nothing was ever really confirmed. Oh, yeah. Pennywise's powers are all over the goddamn place for, like, what certain things work and what things don't. Yep. Mm. Like, they killed him, or they stopped him the first time by shooting silver earrings at him. Yeah. With a slingshot. Or, in this case, they just... (laughs) Well, uh, another good line from the movie is uh, where... They're, uh, as would be the first fight when they're kids fighting Pennywise, and Pennywise has Bill, and he's like, if you all leave, I'll just eat Bill and you all get to go free. And then Richie does his whole speech. It's like, I told you when we came down here that we were going to die. I just wanted to spend my summer playing Street Fighter, and now I have to kill this fucking clown. He pulls a baseball bat out of the junk. Yeah. <laughs> Pennywise like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> just, he comes in and starts beating the shit of him with the bat. Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. And they even have a callback to that at the beginning, uh, or in the 2019 version, when they're above the host, uh, and uh, they're about to go in to fight the clown again, and Bill's like, Richie, you said it perfect the first time, and Richie's played by fucking uh, Bill Hader, which yeah. was phenomenal <laughs> casting. And Richie's like, uh... I have the uh, biggest penis? <laughs> we're, we're all gonna die? And Bill's like, no, 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 the other thing. Uh, I just want to play Street Fighter. No, no, no. The other thing. Oh, let's, let's kill this fucking clown. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> and uh, speaking of uh, just the character of Richie as well, while we're at it, they, they they did make some changes to the character of Richie in this, which I liked, but I miss, I have an issue with some of the application of it. So the big reveal in this one was we find out when they're going back to get the important memories. Yeah. It's linked to important things about them, not just their interaction with Pennywise, even if the person that it's important is interacted. For example, Ben's big thing is his uh, yearbook page that only Beverly signed, and he kept it with him the whole time. And it was a memory of Pennywise attacking him using Beverly's image. Yes. And then we find it with Richie, because uh, I can't remember what it was in the original version, what Richie's interaction was. I think he was just attacked by the Paul Bunyan statue. Yeah. Uh, whereas this one, there's more kind of a basis around that attack by Paul Bunyan, where it's... I don't think it's ever explicitly said by anyone other than Pennywise, but it's very heavily implied that Richie is actually gay... And so Pennywise uses this against him by trying to get him to kiss the Paul Bunyan statue who is attempting to murder the shit out of him. And uh, this is a very good change because I feel Richie didn't have that much development himself aside from just being kind of a joker. Yeah. This adds to it's just his character in such a good way. My, my issue was, because the big reveal at the end was when he goes to the bridge and carves in a name and then it shows that later on when he's recarving it, 
it's an E, yeah. which heavily implies like, oh, he was in love with Eddie the whole time. Yeah. And that's where my issue comes up because I'm fine with it being Eddie, but the issue is the important memory about him and his first like crush, or essentially, was with a person that wasn't Eddie. Yeah. And then the big uh, payoff to that scene is him in love with Eddie from the carving. Yeah, but also like the like his childhood, his kind of showing his love for someone else. It was him being in love with Stanley, not Eddie. And yet the carving is ends up showing him, yeah, proclaiming his love for Eddie instead, which yeah, is weird. The random person he was playing Street Fighter with was uh, Bowers' cousin or something like that. Yeah, so he who paid... wasn't in the original movie, but just kind of shows up for that day to kick this guy's ass. At Street Fighter didn't leave. Yeah, it's Eddie plays Street Fighter with Bowers, but also there's a scene where Eddie goes to the uh, like. Not the cathedral. What's the word I'm looking for? Synagogue. The synagogue. Yeah, he's remembering the, the awesome speech that Stanley made, which makes his character so goddamn better. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. Yeah, he's like, today's the day I become a man. And the honest goodness truth is, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. But yeah, I never got the feeling that it was, it was implying anything with Stanley. I, like, it, it being Eddie makes sense narratively, I feel to me. It's yeah. just to have that payoff of like, oh, this random guy that doesn't show up again was the important memory, not something. Like, they could have done the exact same scene. But had, like, you know, Bowers overheard him trying, like, oh, Eddie, you should stay a bit longer play. It's like, oh, what are you, gay or something? And then, like, him playing it off and leaving. And then having that emotional breakdown. Yeah. I feel just could have made the scene so much better. And I, I think they wanted to keep the twist of, oh, he was so crushed by Eddie's death because he was in love with Eddie the whole time. Yeah. I did really enjoy the, slight kind of, the play on that scene they had where they had the Paul Bunyan scene where Paul Bunyan's, the giant Paul Bunyan statue is chasing down trying to kill uh, Eddie. Ed, or not Eddie, kill Richie. And then uh, Richie manages to stop it by closing out his eyes and chanting, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. Opening his eyes, realizing that it wasn't real, nothing happened. And then they have the what I'm referring to as the redux, because for most of these characters going around, they have the memory from the traumatic thing as a child, and then they end up having Pennywise using that to fight them as an adult and forcing them to relive those traumatic memories against them. And most of those characters get both a childhood terrifying memory and an adult childhood or an adult terrifying memory that's a play on that and i really enjoy the richie one because richie goes back and he's in the park and then pennywise starts taunting him again as an adult uh from the paul bunyan statue and then pennywise challenges richie to a game of truth or dare and starts taunting him saying everyone here would love to hear your truth uh what do you think about that and stuff like that and then Richie closes his eyes and goes, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. Except this time he opens his eyes and Pennywise tries to fucking kill him because it's absolutely fucking real. Yeah, which is one of the things about Pennywise's power is he can create as many illusions as he wants everywhere. But if you're the spot where Pennywise is, that's the one that can actually hurt you. And it's kind of realizing what is that at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it was just one of those really things I think could have had a better payoff. Although, out of all the characters going back and having their memories, the best one was definitely Eddie's, where he goes into the pharmacy basement, yeah. and he strangles the leper there, and it farps on him to, like, the best sound by oh. ever. Yeah, because it's... What? So, his memory from back as a child is he was picking up a prescription of his inhaler from the pharmacy, and he hears his mother from the basement, and his mother's crying out to him because she's chained to a bed, and there's a leper at the other end of the room that's slowly working its way towards her, trying to kiss her so that he can infect her with leprosy or something like that. It's not very heavily explained. Uh, and then Eddie goes down into the basement where his mother was chained up as an adult and, like, has this vivid memory and then sees the leper again and ends up, like, fighting with the leopard. And this is where we first get the kind of message about belief being what truly wins the battle because he starts fighting against the leper. And then I assume, like, you can kind of see in his face, he has the realization, lepers are fucking falling apart weak people i shouldn't be losing this fight and then he like picks up the leper and pushes him up against the wall and he's very weak because he realizes he should be able to win this fight and then he like opens his mouth to shout at the leper and the leper just in response vomits just black <laughs> bile straight into eddie's mouth and face <laughs> then what was the song that played because it just played like a short part of it Oh, I don't remember, but it was so good. <laughs> yeah, but it just like plays like this very uplifting song for like ten seconds. It just gets covered in barf. Yeah, and then the, it cuts to the next scene of him running up out of the bed, I think, and he's trying to get out of the pharmacy. He's pushing. And it's like it won't work. It won't work. And then it's like it's pulled, dumbass. He's like, oh, of course. He's like grinning, laughing, and he leaves. He pulls the door and leaves. Yeah, I feel Eddie just has so many goddamn great moments throughout this movie. <laughs> he really does. So that kind of ever so slightly now that we've talked about all of the children at least a little bit brings me to what I wanted to talk about. Which was there's this one scene when uh, Bill's running around and after he's found what he believes his memento to be, 
which is his bike Silver from when he was a child. Yeah. He comes across the sewer where uh, Georgie got pulled down as a child. Uh, and he ends up shouting into the sewer the line, There's hundreds of kids in Derry. Why'd you have to choose Georgie? Why'd you choose Jory? Georgie? And there's no response at first. And then he starts to get away. And then the clown laughs at him and explains, I attacked Georgie because you weren't there. Um, which brings me to my point, which I wanted to talk about how the clown chooses its victims. Because it does have some pretty specific criteria for victims, if you pay attention. It never seems to go after Henry other than to, like, try and manipulate him into spreading his cause through more evil. Yeah. Uh, it only seems to go after kids who specifically have some sort of, like, I don't want to say emotional weakness, but, like, already have a troubled childhood outside of the clown's influence and uses that to attack them further. And there's a couple reasons for this, but before we do that... Let's just talk about each of these kids and the shit that they've gone through before the clown was a part of their life to show, uh, like, what was going on. So, we have Bill, first of all, who has a very aggressive stutter and definitely gets the shit bullied out of him for having a stutter. Yeah. He also has a brother. Even before Georgie goes missing, he clearly has, like, a tenuous relationship with Georgie where he loves him but also just doesn't want to spend all his time with him. He wants to spend time with his friends. And that's kind of hinted at, uh... In the second movie, at the very least, where he says, I just didn't want to hang out with you that one day. Alright, you got the truth out of me. I wasn't that sick. I could have hung out. I chose not to. And so you get kind of... Pennywise sees this, sees that there's a kid who's got these kind of instabilities. And also has a way in by taking advantage of that brother relationship right there. We have Stanley Uris, who uh, has a very kind of oppressive father, uh, according to the directors. And also, if you watch the movies, his father's a rabbi. His father's just kind of a general dick to him in general. We also know he's overcome with different fears. Also, brief interlude right here, because this is something I found out while I was uh, Googling a little bit earlier, which was, um, if you go on the Wikipedia page for these movies, you get uh, one very specific line that fucking blew my mind when I read it. So let me pull it up so I can get it exactly right. For each of the characters, it has a little backstory about like what's going on with the kid's life as it's going on. And then it says for five, six out of the seven children, it has the exact same line. And I was like, this is a weirdly specific line. Was this something that was like addressed in the movie that I just didn't notice? But for every character except for Bill, while describing the character, it says on the character of blank, Muschietti spoke of him knowing a situation of despair on top of the terror of it and the fear of heights. To which he also stated, long story short, blah, 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 blah. And it has that exact fucking line of words for every single <laughs> character. And it's like, was there a big thing I didn't notice about each of these characters having a depth of despair and a fear of heights that I just did not notice throughout this entire film? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that, like, uh, where it takes place in, like, the whole Dark Tower universe that's the Stephen King books, that all these children have the shine, which explains with their psychic connections and all that. Oh, no, it's just a weird thing. Uh, Muschietti was one of the producers for the movie, which is... Well, Muschietti was the director, sorry, and his yeah. wife was one of the producers. So I'm... Assuming it's just like they to ask the director about it, and every single time the director was like, "Oh, this character has a profound de uh, despair, a overwhelming fear of it, and also a terrifying fear of heights." It's like that's weird that that's your thought for every single character in the movie. <laughs> but that was just a weird fucking thing I noticed that I wanted to call everyone's attention to. Uh, but yeah, so Stanley is kind of oppressed by his father, overcome with like a litany of fears, where he's terrified of fucking everything. Uh, we got Ben ha Hanscomb, which is. He was overweight as a child. Had other kids in his school literally carve his name into his fucking stomach as a child. Just horrifying. Uh, we have Beverly Marsh, who's got just what I'm going to describe as daddy issues, but in the worst way possible. <laughs> where she definitely had a very non-consensual relationship with her father, is all I'm going to say about that one. Uh, we have Richie, who in this movie, at the very least, it's heavily implied and stated by the clown a couple times that Richie's gay and... If we know anything about this town from the intro, being gay is essentially a death sentence if you live in Derry. Yeah, and I believe another thing that comes up too is parental neglect as well. So he's always seeking for attention and approval. He doesn't want to be left alone, essentially. Yeah. Uh, we have so that's Eddie... why he's always trying to make people laugh. We have Eddie Kasprak, who is a hyper... Well, he has a mother who's a hypochondriac. He has a litany of illnesses wrong with himself. So not only does he have, like, just a whole bunch of people making fun of him for his inhaler and shit like that... He also has just 
a mother who's a hypochondriac and every time there's the slightest thing wrong with him blows it the fuck out of proportion and makes it so much more awful for him. And she's giving him all those gazebos. Yeah, and she's... Gazebos? I don't remember that at all. You don't remember that line? I know. But when he's standing up to his mother, because uh, the person at the pharmacy says they're placebos, and he's like, and all these pills, they're just gazebos, and he throws it on the ground. <laughs> oh, okay. And then Pennywise even has a called shot at that uh, later in the thing, where they try to do the ch- uh, chud ritual, and then he's like, Mike, don't you know why it didn't work? Was it just a gazebo? I remember that line. I had no fucking clue what that line meant. It was a I remember... back to the placebo thing, where it's like, I... oh, it doesn't actually work. I didn't remember the placebo thing. Uh, and then we also have Mike Hanlon, whose parents died in a fire as a kid, and it's kind of been using that against him ever since by making him believe he caused the fire, uh, and also that his parents were crackheads or something, where at the end of the movie you figure out his parents just died in a fire, and that's just a thing that happened. But also, Mike Hanlon is like the only black person in the entire town of Derry, and based on what we see about Derry's feelings on homosexuality, gotta assume they have similar feelings towards race. And it's just a fucked up place to live. So uh, Pennywise is specifically targeting these different kids who all have troubled childhoods to them. And so you kind of end up getting this... I at least got the impression that there's a couple reasons for this. First and foremost, kids who have this kind of troubled shit in their past and childhood have like a wealth of shit for Pennywise to use against them. We see this repeatedly where in the first movie... Where he just takes random shit they're already afraid of and starts manipulating it to make it more awful for them. We also, I have the belief that like, if any of these kids tried to tell adults about what was going on with Pennywise, even if Pennywise wasn't able to manipulate the kids into neglecting it, although he absolutely does, but if they found a kid who wasn't under his influence, most of the parent or most adults who like had a kid tell them all this shit that's been going on with the clan would probably be like, what's going on with your child life? Oh, you're sexually abused by your father yeah no you're probably just repressing that and coming up with some other shit about an evil clown and (laughs) blood coming out of your bathtub to make you acknowledge or be able to accept what's going on with adults which in regards to that scene i gotta say probably one of the best use of an 80s montage i've ever seen where they're all cheerfully like to the upbeat music cleaning all the blood out of the bathroom yeah it's just a fountain of fucking blood that no adults can see and only the kids can see and they're like Alright, well, the only way this is getting rid of is if we all work together to clean it up for Beverly, because no adult fucking sees this shit. (laughs) Montage time! Yeah. Uh, And then I have a third theory, which is that it does not exist, and it's exactly what adults would say if they told them about it, which is just, you got some troubled shit in your fucking past, and you've come up with a coping mechanism by blaming it all on a fucking clown. Sure. And deadlights? Nah, just sewer gas. (laughs) Yeah. Just fucking poisonous gas coming out of the sewers. Very reasonable thing to assume. Yeah, so that's kind of my theory about what's going on with the kids and how it chooses its victims. It chooses people who are already emotionally weak and have troubled pasts because it makes it easier for him to kind of target them and also because what the fuck are they going to do? Tell someone who the fuck's going to listen to a kid with that kind of fucking past? Well, well it's definitely implied with when you look at the other victims too because there's the girl that's got the mark on her face talking the- about how she's bullied and... Doesn't have friends. Big old birthmark on her face. Uh, there are two victims who don't quite fit with this, but I think that's purely because they were not the actual victim of it. Uh, it kills both Georgie as well as the small boy in the mirror maze. It was not doing anything to them or choosing them as targets. It purely chose to kill them because they knew it would fuck the shit out of Bill. That's true. It could work. Curry versus Skarsgård. Sorry? Curry versus Skarsgård. Oh, okay. That's, the actor bit. It's a good thing. I I think Skarsgård is phenomenal just for a couple things. Like, when you actually, like, read up on these movies and find out how much of it was fucking real-life Skarsgård just being Skarsgård and how much of it was uh, actual, like, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Digital effects? Oh, yeah. Special effects? Like, one of my favorite things is about the eyes. Yeah. Where, uh, he can make his pupils point in different directions and move independently of yeah. each other. So the the, uh, the director wanted to have it set that in every scene of the movie where Pennywise is on the screen, one eye is always staring directly at the camera to give that unease of Pennywise looking at the audience as well as the person he's talking to. And it's like, this is going to cost millions of dollars to edit in. It's because, like, I can do that. And you actually, if you look through the movie, every scene that has Pennywise, he's looking at the person and you. Yeah. Huh. Um, and it's one of those things. There's even a fantastic story about the filming of chapter two from this, which is Bill Hader was talking about like this different pupil situation with Skarsgård. And he's like, it's crazy. Like 
that the director wanted to do this. It must have cost so much money in special effects to do that. And Skarsgård's like, uh, no, that's not a special effect. I can actually do that. And Bill Hader's like, uh, go fuck yourself. I know a special effect when I see it. And like, just like in the movie, you can actually see behind the scenes footage of him being like, come here, look. And then like, Bill Hader's looking very closely at Skarsgård's face. And then Skarsgård does it, and Bill Hader just runs the fuck away. <laughs> and that's really what I feel the big difference is between them. I feel Curry is just a lot more fun to watch, whereas Skarsgård will actually haunt your dreams. Yeah. Like, uh, just all my favorite Pennywise scenes, like, for, like, just comedical value, are from the Tim Curry one, like, the, the famous Tim Curry. Ha ha! Ha ha! Ha Yeah. I think, I think Tim Curry does creepy really well, but I think yeah, Skarsgård just slightly edges him out in this movie. Yeah, Tim because Curry of, was very unsettling. <laughs> because, like, Skarsgård's got that whole fucking, like, Jim Curry situation. Or Jim Curry. Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey yeah. situation, where, like, Jim Carrey's got, like, essentially an elastic face and can do whatever face he wants to. Yeah. Apparently Skarsgård does, too. Because, like, most of what you see in that movie is makeup and his face being the way his face is. Uh, now, my favorite Curry moment still has to be, I can't remember where it's at in the miniseries, but it's the part where Bill's there, and then he hears the digging, he looks over, and it's all the graves. And he's like, it's just Tim Curry steps out of the grave, he's like, <laughs> yeah. take your spot, can't get that one on the end, though, it's uh, already taken, I'm very sorry. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm sorry, Stanley's dead. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even say Stanley, it's just like, yeah, one of your friends is dead, probably, you don't know, but <laughs> you're scared now. Yeah, but he's like, my condolences. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? Oh my god. Yeah, that was as soon as, uh... As soon as Bill got back to Derry, he's like, yeah, I'll check into this hotel and then I'm just going to check out the graveyard for, uh... Reasons. For, for Jory's grave, or Georgie's grave. And then he looks over, and there's Bill Curry just coming out of a grave he's digging. <laughs> did you say Bill Curry? He did say Booker. Tim Curry. Tim Curry, there we go. There's too many names. There's a lot of Bills. There's, a lot, there's a lot of Bills and there's a Tim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh <laughs> just thinking back all the Tim Curry stuff though, throughout this, the, the miniseries is just he's, great. Yeah. And, like, his reactions with Richie, his interactions with Richie, Richie as a kid was only scared of him in the uh, boiler room of the school when he was went to, sent to get a mop to clean up a mess he made. And it shows up as the Wolfman from a movie they just saw, scaring Richie. And shows up again as the Wolfman trying to scare adult Richie when they first go down into the sewers to confront him again. But uh, what does it do to try to get Richie to leave Derry when he first shows up at the beginning of the second part. Richie just goes to the library and Tim Curry is just loud and obnoxious and shouting at him to leave. Yeah, with all the bursting balloons. Yeah. I believe that's the ha-ha, ha-ha, pussy. Yeah. And with the big noisemaker. <laughs> yeah. Just... Yeah. Uh, now, they do change Richie's fear a bit in this one. They change it that it wasn't Wolfman that he's afraid of, it's clowns. It, which is great because... Uh, a little something we didn't address, but throughout most of the first movie, there's secret Pennywises in a lot of the scenes, which yeah. will be someone in the background looking really strangely and grinning creepily at a character while something creepy is happening. Uh, when Eddie reveals, uh, not Eddie, uh, Richie reveals that he's scared of clowns, there's people acting on the stage behind him, and you see one clown hold an uh, uh, animal balloon out towards them. And that's actually played by Skarsgård. So that was Pennywise, because no one else interacts with that clown. And he hears him just perfectly. It's like, ooh, clowns, is it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, uh, there's a lot of other scenes. Like, for example, in the beginning, when George is going down to the basement, when he goes down, if you look at the top of the stairs, you can see the glow of Pennywise's eyes and a bit of an outline of his face. Uh, when they're patching up uh, Ben after he was stabbed, and there's the mural behind them, there's a scene there where it's like a gang fight that happened where they got rid of, they rose up against like a crime family. Yeah. And you can see Pennywise appear under the wheels of one of them, but he's not there before. He appears partly through the scene under the wheel. And it's like, oh, Pen showing you like, if you're paying attention, Pennywise is goddamn everywhere in this town. Yeah. Another thing I quite enjoy that I didn't realize at first is that based on the timing of these movies, uh, chapter two is set in 2016. And it's bold uh, in my mind because... So many horror movies have a hard time setting themselves in a modern era just because of the fact that, like, you add cell phones to a horror movie and it immediately be stops being horrifying because someone's just like, I'm just going to call the cops from my phone real quick. But, like, they said it in 2016 and they do a real good point of, like, showing that it is 2016 in the movie because, like, at the beginning when Mike Han Hanlon calls them all, he calls them on some, like, weird old rotary phone, but they all answer on cell phones. They're like, oh, cool. Hey, what's up, Mike? And then, like, as they get back to Derry, it just, like, slowly regresses in time. And, like, you don't see a cell phone after that first scene. And it's just, like, kind of, like, something, like, somehow Derry's trapped in, like, an era where, like, nobody acknowledges what time it is. Thus the, like, 
fact that a group of adults think it's cool to murder a gay guy in the middle of the streets in 2016. It's open shit like that, where it's just like, they very clearly ground the rest of the world in 2016, but like somehow Derry still feels like it's set in the 80s somehow. Well, I can't remember if it is only in the book or in the miniseries as well, but after they beat Pennywise, doesn't like a massive storm hit Derry? Yeah, so in the book, what happens is a massive storm hits Derry and collapses uh, large sections of the town. Yeah. And it's believed that Derry is dying because the only reason Derry exists is because it has influenced all these people to stay nearby so it doesn't have to go roaming for yeah. food. That's not in the miniseries at all. Yeah. And then in the most recent adaptations, it's not a giant storm hits. It's just this one house collapses uh, in order to kind of show that his corruption of the city, which was contained apparently in a perfect vertical shaft beneath this <laughs> yeah. host, yeah. Uh, has ended. In the miniseries, it ends really weirdly. For some reason, Bill's wife decides to come to Derry to figure out why he was in such a panic headed off to Derry in the first place. Yeah. And it captures her for whatever reason. She just stops by a river or whatever. Or no, stops at a gas station and it's there t just to get her. And so he pulls her out after they kill it in the very weird, after the very weird encounter with it and killing him. Because he turned into a giant spider, his quote unquote true form in that. And you just see the silhouettes of them all just punching the spider and pulling out its guts. And it's <laughs> very weird. To be fair, in all of the renditions of the story, it, in the final battle, takes the form of a giant well, spider. Well, that, that's the ultimate enemy of the turtle in yeah. the Stephen King universe. Okay. Spiders versus turtles. That, that boils down the Dark Tower okay. pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Well, anyway, he pulls Audrey out, and she's just like a shell of herself she doesn't react to anything she's just emotionless doesn't talk and he's very upset she's not getting any better so they're just finally leaving Derry. he's about to get in the taxi with uh with uh his wife and then he sees the silver bike yeah and he's like i'm gonna try one more thing puts her on the bike with him goes as fast as he can starts going down a street in a busy road cutting off traffic and everything she starts to get her memories back or starts to come to life again and then they hug and kiss and that's the end yeah she so that's she's barely there in the movie <laughs> that she's barely there in the movie in the book that's actually very similar to how it actually plays out except the main difference is in the book um not only does bill's wife come back but beverly's abusive husband also comes to dairy but he's more so coming there to like aggressively bring her back home so she can never leave again uh, and so they both end up coming to Derry. It ends up influencing uh, Beverly's husband into capturing Bill's wife and bringing her down to it. And then when they're both down in its catacombs, it uh, attacks them both and kills Beverly's husband, but just kind of makes Bill's wife catatonic. And then after the fight with it, they end up discovering Bill's wife and Bill, yeah, takes her on his bike silver and rides as fast as the wind, and that is what raises her, raises her out of her catatonic state. Uh, now, another interesting thing I actually want to talk about where it comes to the differences is, uh, in the a book and the miniseries, the way it's formatted definitely does play with a bit of an idea that Mike might not be all there, and might be actually under the control of Pennywise, which added to an interesting dynamic of like, oh, is this going to drop, and he's going to flip, and it's going to be, oh, he was actually lured them all there because of Pennywise, something like that. Yeah. The new movie doesn't really feel that way at all. It, it does play... It makes it, it feel like he's a bit off, but not like, oh, this guy could be controlled by Pennywise. It, it, does, that. it does hint at it a little bit, I find, because uh, I that was my thought, too, when I first started watching it. I was like, there's none of these like same hints that there was in the book. But if you actually... So the one thing is, it kind of still has that plot of, like, Mike can't be trusted. Yeah. Because there's the, like, urn that he uses that's the most important part of the ritual of Chewed. <laughs> And he's showing it to them and it has the three faces to show how Pennywise came to the planet, what ended up happening after Pennywise came to the planet, and all this stuff, and how they were going to defeat it. But then there's like a fourth side of the urn that's very heavily scratched out and like erased. And like, Mike gets real cagey whenever anyone asks him about it or like asks how they're going to win. He's just like, this plan will work. We just need to get down in the catacombs where it lives and everything will work out. And it's like very subtly hinted at that like, Mike might just be leading them all into a trap intentionally. Yeah. They end up performing the ritual of truth. It does not work. It goes so far as to like call out Mike's like, way to go, Mike. Thanks for bringing them down here. <laughs> Tell them all what they won. 
the prize is the ritual of truth doesn't work. Do you know why? Do you know what happened to the last one? And then it shows Mike erasing the last side of the box. Yeah, where everyone dies. <laughs> where everyone dies after trying to perform the ritual of truth. Oh. Uh, and then, well, Mike I, then reveals, kind Mike, of say space, but like, well, it didn't work because they didn't believe, so I didn't tell you guys because you had to believe it would work. Yeah, so then it's very heavily throws away the idea that Mike might not be on their side by just very clearly being like, I just wanted this to really work, and I thought the only way for it to work would be if we all believed. Uh, and then, yeah, they fight him through more generic means. Yeah, yeah. yeah now that you mention that, they kind of also do hint at that in the miniseries, yeah. because... When Bowers first sees it, or first encounters it in the sewers, his hair turns pure white from terror, and then in the future he's used by it again to try to kill the others, yeah. and his hair is still pure white. Which, and mind you... you find out, Mike, when he went back down into the sewers after they first dealt with it, he went looking for the, uh, the earrings. When he came out, he had a little bit of whiteness to his hair. Now, I do want to point out one thing about Bowers. Don't need to address it much, but... In the miniseries, Bowers just kind of gets goes crazy, kills his friends, and then comes back out and gets used later. In the, the new movie, Mike just fucking, like, shoves Bowers down that fucking well, and he hits every rock on the way down, yeah. and he gets washed out. I was like, hmm, I don't know about that one. I was yeah. like, whoa, they yeah. killed Bowers. What are they going to do for the second uh, half? Now Bowers, oh, no, he's still alive. Yeah. Bowers didn't kill Belch. Belch was dragged into a tube by it. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a very comical scene. Yes. yes. It was like Although, fucking slapstick comedy. It was like, dum, 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 Although, dum, dum, I gotta dum. admit, how I was watching the, uh, the miniseries was split up into two different playlists of four-minute clips on youtube the one clip where i guess they first encountered it was missing so it went immediately from bowers and his little lackeys following the kids in all of a sudden to just a glowing light moving up through a tube and then bowers or belch being dragged into the tube very weirdly uh, now i actually have a pretty funny thing we're going a little off uh base here i want to go back to stanley's death so this could be just due to the fact of how they cut it but i was watching this with my girlfriend and at the end of the movie, we were talking about it. She's like, yeah, and it's so weird that Stanley faked his death. I was like, what? what? <laughs> exactly. No, he very clearly killed himself. <laughs> but she was like, oh, I thought he faked his death so that they wouldn't think that he was around. Uh, so that, like, he, they could actually defeat him. And it was like an ultimate, like, you know, play so he didn't have to go. He was just such a coward that he faked his death. It's like, who was he faking for at the beginning? We saw him die. Yeah. If he's faking his death... He wouldn't have had to have split his wrist and make his wife also believe he was dead. He could just be like, if anyone calls, I need you to answer and tell them I'm dead. Like, there's no need for him to slit his wrist. That seems a little extreme. Like, who are you hiding from? Just tell them I'm dead. Yeah. Also, that fucking scene in the uh, Jade Empire, I think is what they called the restaurant. Uh, Jade Palace. Yeah. The Chinese restaurant where they all like get together when they first get back to Jerry. And like they're opening up the fortune cookies and realize like... Mine just says, good, what a fucking fortune, blah, 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 blah. And then they end up, uh, like, trying to string them together. And, like, just, like, without having Eddie's name, they're all just, Stanley. like... Uh, sorry, without having Stanley's name. And they're just, like, guess it could not cut. What? What does that mean? And they're, like, trying to play word jumble. And it's, like, clearly you only have five out of six words right now. Find the sixth fucking word and it might make sense. But also just, like, a whole bunch of people, like, trying to rearrange these words. And just, like, guess it could not cut. What? What does that even mean? Guess it could not cut. What are they talking about? Uh, it's definitely true. Like, they, they spent so much time on that one. Mind you, they made trying to read fortune cookies a very dramatic scene. Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. Like, although in the miniseries, that was probably the most disturbing part. Oh, the eyeball of the part cookies? one and two. It, the eyeball was in just one, but it looked so realistic. Oh, yeah. And there were various things coming out of all the other fortune like there was definitely some good use of practical effects in the original oh, yeah. version that's definitely true uh, not not when it first goes back into the drain pipe after first getting hit by a slingshot oh, though now i do have a very interesting question for you guys yeah so with it part one and two recently getting released and being like the highest grossing r-rated movies and i don't know how much you know about the stephen king universe uh matt but there has been hints about the species that is pennywise of some capacity still being alive after losers club to beat him do you think they now move to It Part 3? Uh, do you think they uh, move forward in the story in some capacity? Do Pennywise I, still alive. Do I think they should? No. Do I think they will? Probably. Yeah. Just looking at uh, movie companies now, they're milking everything for everything they can. Uh, one thing I am actually excited for, though, is the director of the first two, uh, of It Part 1 and 2, 
has come out and said that now that he's released uh, it part two, he's making a director's cut, which is going to be like a five hour movie of him telling the story instead of two separate movies, all as one super long movie. And he's going to kind of edit it. So instead of it just being part one followed immediately by part two, he's going to do it in the order he would have done it if he was just doing the whole movie as one. So it's probably going to be a lot more like the books and where it jumps around between the two storylines rather than having the just the kid story and then the adult story. Yeah, because I think with uh, the original, it, we find it about Stanley's death pretty early on. So we go through the whole story knowing Stanley's dead and he's going to like not make it when he makes that promise. And it adds a whole bunch more poignance to some of the lines when they're all like talking about it and Bev says she had visions of them as adults and coming back to fight it. And fucking Stanley's like, what did I look like? And Bev's like, uh, you like looked you like yourself. You looked like you do now, but like a little bit taller, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I want to give some credit here. The, the casting of the recent movie from the kids to the adults on par. Not a single one of them did I not buy turning into the adults. The one who was the closest though had to have been Eddie. Because there was that scene in the pharmacy where it does like the, the pan from like the child actor to the adult actor and the faces lined up perfectly. Yeah, like it did like a slow fade from one to the other and like it was perfect. There, It looked exactly right. Yeah, it was amazing casting on the part there. Yeah. Alright, uh, so if you have any ideas for future topics for the podcast or just any comments or corrections you want to give us You'll notice we didn't do corrections at the beginning of this podcast. That's because we're still perfect, and it's getting annoying saying that. Uh, <laughs> so if you do have any comments, please feel free to send us an email at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Spelt all the way words are normally spelled. Please make sure to like and comment on our podcast. It lets us know what we're doing good and what we're doing not good. Ungood? Ungood. I can accept that. Cool. So, uh, with that being said, the sun has started to set. Uh, and tune in in two weeks' time for our kind of next episode, which... Wait, Keith, now that it's a little bit dark in this room, do you have Mothman written in glow-in-the-dark paint on your wall? Yes, the Mothman wall. It's been here since I lived here. What? How? Have I never been here? What? What is going on? Ah! But the real monsters are the people who live in Derry, Maine.